0: To echo Pastor Brian this morning, there is no better way to start a worship service than to see people following Jesus in believers' baptism, and not just one, but to get to witness four lives. Uh, completely changed and transformed. That's that's something to uh, celebrate, Church. I pray that you uh, never grow accustomed to just seeing that all the time. That is a work of God in the hearts and minds of people and our prayers that God would continue to move and our other prayers that we would just stay out of His way. Honestly, um, that's what we've been kind of praying as a staff. Is God, you continue to show up and show off and help us just stay out of the way and not mess this thing up. All right, so uh, continue to pray for us there. I was gonna ask. Uh, Chris and Pastor Travis, what was going on there? It seemed like Chris needed a little extra under the water uh, there than than the other ones, but uh, I think he's I think he's good there. So, uh, but but incredible, incredible. So if you've got your Bibles, open them to the Book of Revelation, Revelation chapter eight. We're going to start in verse six this morning, and uh, we have some ground to cover today. We're going to be talking about the seven. Trumpets that we find in the book of Revelation. So from eight six to the end of chapter eleven is where you find the seven trumpets, and we are going to uh, fly through them pretty quickly this morning. and And I want to just say that right out of the gate is uh, we are going to go through them fairly quickly. I wish we had more time to unpack what each one uh, means in greater detail, but this morning we're going to take more of a broad, general overview of the seven trumpets, and then that's going to leave some uh, study for you this coming week, all right? So if you want to take a deep dive, let me encourage you to do that. This upcoming week. But the seven trumpets, all right, so the seven trumpets are the second sevenfold judgment that we find in the book of Revelation. The first sevenfold judgment we studied several weeks ago in the six seals, and then the seven trumpets are the second sevenfold judgment that we see in the book of Revelation, followed lastly uh, by the seven bowls. And so we'll be there in a couple of weeks, but all of these are representative of God's judgment that is. Being poured out upon the earth, and so um, this morning as we go through this, I want us just to be uh, reminded of that as as what we're seeing. That not only to see God's uh, heart uh, against unbelief and His judgment of sin but we're also going to pick up and see how God demonstrates his mercy and his grace and his love towards those who don't deserve it. And so it's gonna be a very, very interesting study. Before we even jump in, there was two things though that I was reminded of this week. Number one, and you may already know this, if you don't know the Old Testament well, you're gonna struggle with the book of Revelation. Anybody already feeling that a little bit? Like who's gone back to read some stuff? I know I do every single week because there is a lot of information that is pulled from Old Testament and put into the book of Revelation. So it's a little bit unique in the fact that it sits at the end of the New Testament, but it relies heavily upon our understanding of the Old Testament. In fact, when I was in uh, school, they used to tell us, don't jump into Revelation until you have a good handle on all of the rest of the Bible because it pulls so much on those things. So that's just a good reminder this week. And and this morning, it's gonna be um, a a reminder to us because we're gonna see some pulling in from the book of Exodus and the plagues this morning. So uh, again, this week, spend some time going back, reading Exodus chapter 7, through twelve and get yourself uh, refamiliarized with with that text, but uh, that's a reminder to us is it's heavily, um, heavily you know mixed in there with some Old Testament stuff, also. I want to just remind us uh, of the fact that the book of Revelation, because of the apocalyptic genre and John's writing style, we have to be careful that we don't understand it and see it as linear and chronological, okay? And that's going to that's gonna be important this morning, because if we take a linear chronological approach to all of the rest of the book of Revelation, we'll have the tendency to see these things playing out in an exact order, and that is not exactly what's happening in the book of Revelation, all right? In the book of Revelation, you see a lot of what is called recapitulation, all right? That's simply um, a recapping of events that have already taken place And oftentimes, when you see recapitulation in the book of Revelation, you see it from a little bit different perspective and you see it in a little bit greater detail. Let me explain what I mean by that. I'll give you a perfect example from the Old Testament that kind of does this as well. The book of Genesis. Who's read Genesis chapters one and two? All right, so most of the people in the room. Now, there are a lot of people out there that would say, is this two creation accounts that we find in the book of Genesis? Chapter one and chapter two. And of course, we would say no, that those are not. Two creation accounts. One is simply a a cosmic view, chapter one, right? It's a cosmic view of creation that these are all the things that God did. And then in an act of recapitulation, right, Genesis chapter two takes a zoomed in look from a little bit different perspective on one of the elements that we see inside creation. And God is trying to demonstrate that man is now the pinnacle of the created order. And so we take a little bit deeper dive in uh, in Genesis chapter chapter 2, into the creation of man. So it's the same story. It's just a recap with a little bit different details from a little bit different perspective of something that was already covered in chapter 1, but now we see it with a little fuller Picture right, greater details. That's what I would uh, say and remind us this morning as we study the seven trumpets. This is an example of one of those things that we're seeing in the book of Revelation. It's something similar to what we saw in the seven seals. The seven seals are simply uh, the the trials of believers and God's ultimate victory throughout human history and redemptive history. But it's 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 further zoomed out. And here the trumpets were zoomed in just a, a little bit more. We're going to look at God's judgment. Not Not now from the perspective of trials of believers and and God's perspective, but through the lens of judgment on an unbelieving world, okay? And so that's what we have in this text. So I want you to think about that as we study through the seven trumpets. We're getting a little bit more of a zoomed in look now at what exactly God is going to do. And remember, this is all in response to what we see in Revelation chapter 6 when it says those believers under the throne are crying out to God. God saying, "How long are you going to tarry, Lord? When will you bring about judgment?" And this is a response, God's response to believers' prayer there in that. And so we get a more detailed zoomed in look here at the seven trumpets. So this is a focus on the judgments on the unbelieving world and God's ultimate victory. All right. And so Let me pray for us this morning, and we will jump in and take a look at the seven trumpets in greater detail. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and God, I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we open it and as we study it. God, I pray that you'd give us understanding, that I pray that you would just whet our appetite for knowing more about you, knowing more about your word, Uh, but God, ultimately, I pray that, that Lord, that we would be doers of your word and not hearers only, so God, I pray that you'd help keep us. From the weeds and the things that don't really uh, matter all that much, God, and You'd help us to focus on the big ideas here that You're trying to remind us of, God, of Your grace and Your mercy, God, and Your forgiveness, and what it means that there's those in this world, God, that are unbelieving and that they've rejected You as their God and Lord. We just we just pray that You would remind us this morning of the opportunity that we have as believers, God, to take the good news of the gospel to those who don't believe. And God, we pray that you would save. God, we ask that you would do more work in the life of people who don't yet know you, God, so that when they stand before you one day, they won't stand facing your wrath and judgment, but God, they would be covered by the blood of your son and they would stand blameless before their God and king. Lord, we pray that you would give us boldness and wreck our hearts with that this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I said, we're going to take a look at the first four trumpets. They come in the first several verses. So uh, Revelation chapter 8, verses 6 through 12, I'm going to read through them, and then we'll do a recap of the first four trumpets. In verse 6, it says, Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And the second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven. "'Blazing like a torch, and it fell on the earth, "'a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, "'and the name of the star was Wormwood, "'and a third of the waters became Wormwood, "'and many people died from the water "'because it had been made bitter.'" And the fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining. Likewise, a third of the night. And so what we see here in the first four uh, trumpets here is the cosmic judgments of God on an unbelieving world. And if you remember what I said, there's a tie in here to Exodus. This is very reminiscent to the plagues that we see God pour out upon Egypt. Okay. And so as we go through these uh, in a summary here, uh, the first trumpet was hail and fire and blood upon the land. Now there are interpretations of these things being uh, literal events by God. And I think you can make a strong argument for that because we see that they are literal in the book of Exodus, but there are also those who would argue that these are symbolic of things that have been happening and will continue to happen between the two advents of Christ. So some would say that these things were already experiencing after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus all the way to his second coming, and we will continue to experience them until the day of the Lord, all right? But I think here, regardless, you get the idea that this is divine wrath and judgment of God that's being poured out upon an unbelieving world, just like we see with the Egyptians in the plagues in Exodus chapter 7 verses, through 12, all right? And the trumpet, the first one, hail, this is hail, fire, and blood on lamb. It's very uh, reminiscent of the seventh plague that we see in the book of Exodus, which is hail. Now, this one is different because it also has fire and blood. I don't know about you guys, but hail um, is scary to me, all right? I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, and if you don't know anything about hail and Wichita, um, it's bad, right? And so I could see that this could be literal and big stuff, like I grew up several times with like baseball size or larger hail and when that stuff starts coming down you think that Jesus might be returning right then. Okay, When it starts beating against the house and knocking all the windows out and destroying cars and all the damage that it causes. And then to think about here that this isn't just hail, but this is hail with fire. I don't don't even know how to begin to imagine that, right? Like like here you have giant balls of ice on fire, covered in blood, uh, consuming all the land of the world. I don't know exactly what it means, but I know that it will definitely make people understand that this is not something normal, right? That people will understand that there is a God who is in heaven and he is actively demonstrating his power as he pours out these judgments on an unbelieving world. In the second trumpet, you see what is like a burning mountain thrown into the sea, And you see that a third of the sea becomes blood, a third of the creatures in the sea die, and a third of the ships are destroyed. Again, uh, no doubt that this is cosmic judgment from God. Trumpet three, like a burning star into the rivers and springs, and it's called wormwood, and it makes the water very bitter. It's a type of plant. If you consume too much of it, um, you can actually die from it. And so what it's saying is it's making all the water very bitter. And it was very interesting to me uh, because it says a third of the waters became wormwood. A third of the waters. I just looked up this week out of curiosity, um, access to clean water in in the world today. And this is what's so interesting. From the Who, right on Google, right on their website, it says one in three people on the earth don't have access to clean water. I don't know about you, but one in three sounds an awful lot like a third. All right, and so a third of the waters um, will be turned to wormwood and made bitter. And so that's something you can even see ongoing right now today in our world. Verse 12, it says, the fourth angel blew its trumpet, and the sun and the moon and the stars were all darkened here, okay? And so, like I said, the, the bigger idea here is not for us to even fully understand All of the things about these three or four trumpets, but to understand the bigger picture and that God is pouring out judgment upon an unbelieving world. And then we get to Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. When we get to Revelation 8:13, it's very interesting because we see an interlude here. And it says in verse 13, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about. To blow, all right. So we see an angel crying in heaven in this interlude. He is introducing to us the three woe judgments. So he's saying, if you think those four were crazy and bad, you just wait because the last three are the woe judgments and pity those who are having these poured out upon them. By the way, um, you may see some people even interpret that as uh, you know, um, modern things like eagles and stuff like that. I assure you that is not the United States of America, all right, so if we are reading that, we're doing something wrong. All right, so the three woe judgments here. So we start with trumpet five, six, and seven as the woe judgments, and so we're gonna jump ahead a little bit here. We're gonna be looking at Revelation chapter 9, verses 1, through uh, four. And so let's, let's read these and unpack. So the fifth trumpet in verse one, it says, and the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. All right, so let's talk about the fifth trumpet here for just a second. So when the angel blows the fifth trumpet, this is the first woe judgment. What we see here is a star fallen from heaven to earth and this angel who has fallen has the key to the uh, shaft of the bottomless pit and he opens it and it says what comes out is this great smoke, smoke like a great furnace, so much so that the sun and the air are darkened and what's inside it is what is most terrifying because the Bible says in verse 3, then the smoke came, out of the smoke came locusts on the earth. Remember, this is very, again, reminiscent of the plagues that we see in the book of Exodus, all right? So this is the eighth plague in Exodus where we see locusts. Now here's what's uh, interesting about this in comparison though. In the book of Exodus, we understand the locusts to be literal locusts that come upon the earth, that do damage to crops and things to reveal to the, the people of Egypt that God is God and he is who he says he is. All right, here we see that It uses the word locus, all right? But we see in the verses following, we don't have time to go through them all together this morning, but you can on your own. We see a description of the locus. It says they have face like men and hair like women. I don't know what all that means. I think that you're okay, ladies, but um, it's just a lot of imagery in there, right? And it's saying like and like and like. And what we've picked up on already from our study in the book of Revelation is whenever we come across the word like, That should be a tip for us that we're dealing with some imagery, all right? He's using descriptive words. It was like this, all right? And so he begins to describe these locusts, and these locusts are not like the grasshopper-looking locusts that you and I know, right? Like, it's crazy what they describe. And so this is why I would say here that what we're dealing with is... Trumpet number five being demons from the bottomless pit, all right? They've been given authority by God to come upon the earth and to torment people, the Bible says, for a a given amount of time. But look at verse four. This is key. This is why we also know this is unique, because in the book of Exodus, they take out all the vegetation. Look at verse 4. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. All right? So these aren't typical locusts, all right? These are demons unleashed upon the earth to be able to torment. People, but not just anybody they want. You see that God's given parameters. Who are they allowed to torment? Only those who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. So this is good news. Regardless of your interpretation of where the rapture falls in Scripture, guess what? You are sealed and safe. This is what we were talking about just the other day. If you're raptured out of this deal and we don't have to experience none of it, then awesome. But even if you're still here, look, God puts parameters on what is allowed to happen. We see it all throughout the book of Exodus all throughout the book of Exodus, God's people in Israel were not removed from the experience, but they were shielded from God's judgments as he carried them through the experience. All right, And we see on six occasions in the book of Exodus where it says that God made a distinction between Israel and the Egyptians. When all of the Egyptians' livestock were killed, guess how many of the, of the Israelites' livestock were killed? None. right, because God made a distinction. When hell fell upon the Egyptians and killed any man and beast and anything out in the field that was alive, guess how many of the Israelites were killed? None, because the Bible says that God made a distinction and no hell fell in the land of Goshen. So what I'm trying to say is on six occasions, including the Passover... On six occasions in Exodus and what we see here in verse four is God is fully capable of making a distinction between his people and those people that are not his. It clearly says it here that this will be poured out as judgment and wrath, but God's given parameters for only those who are not his people. All right, so like I said, regardless of our interpretation, we have nothing to fear as believers in Jesus Christ as it pertains to experience God's wrath and judgment, all right? We'll come back to that here in a second. But as we see, we see this through that. Look at Second 2 Timothy uh, 2.19. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So we're reminded over and over and over again in the Bible that God knows who are his people. And that is the first woe judgment, the fifth Trumpet. All right, let's continue on. We got to continue going here. Trumpet number six here. We see trumpet number six in Revelation chapter nine, verses 13 through 21, all right? In verse 13, it says, "'Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, "'and I heard a voice from the four horns "'of the golden altar before God, "'saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, "'Release the four angels who were bound "'at the great river Euphrates.'" So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000 I heard their number remember we've talked about that already before in this what John hears and what he is seeing he's demonstrating to us a vast number of people right verse 17 and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them they were breastplates of color uh, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur and the heads of horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths verse 18 gives us a tip into what this trumpet is. It says, "By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouth. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and their tails, and their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound." Now, remember when we when we started this out, the sixth trumpet blows, the second woe judgment, and the angel says um, in verse. Fourteen released the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates, all right? So we would see these as demonic angels that have been bound for this time and this hour. The Bible says, remember, God is still sovereignly in control of everything we experience here. And so they are loosed upon the earth. And again, we go into this thing of what John hears and what he sees. There's a lot of imagery involved in here, but he tells us in verse 18 that by these plagues a third of mankind was killed and so while we don't know exactly how this takes place we understand the general idea that god has been has given authority over to demons from the east here these angelic beings to take life all right And up to this point, they have not been granted that. We even saw in the fifth trumpet, "You're not allowed to take anyone's life, but you can torment people for five months, all right? But here we see that they are given the authority by God to be able to take life. And this is what is crazy to me. Regardless of, of our understanding of this, look at the response of the people. Look at verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Have you guys ever been to the place before where you wondered, like, if God was just to show up in the sky and reveal himself to everyone on earth, what would happen? According to this, God demonstrates himself like that, just like he does for those Egyptians in the book of Exodus. And what is their response? Their response isn't to fall down in repentance before God. Their hearts are so hardened that it says they still don't repent. And we're six trumpets into this thing. So if the first four weren't bad enough and now demons being able to torment for five months and now uh, the authority given over to angels to be able to take a third of mankind's life and all of these things that we see depicted in here are happening all around us and it is still not enough to bring them to a place of repentance. That is a hardened heart. It reveals to us the depravity of man and just how far we are from God and it is honestly heartbreaking. As I've often thought, Lord, if you would just show up and show off, then everybody that that saw you would come to saving faith and we're reminded here that that's not true. That's absolutely not true. And we see moving on into the seventh trumpet. Before I hit the seventh trumpet, uh, again, we don't have time to cover it this morning, but in chapters 10 and the first part of chapter 11, we see another interlude. And so just like with the six or the seven seals, there's an interlude between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. We see the same pattern here with the seven trumpets. Between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet, there is an interlude, and what you have is the angel in the little book. So John is given the, this little book, and he's instructed to eat it, and it says it's sweet on his mouth but bitter in his stomach and what he's being told is that the end of ends is is coming upon us right like God is wrapping things up but you're not done prophesying so that's why it's sweet but yet bitter because we still have a lot of revelation left to go but what he's setting up is the seventh trumpet is the end the end of the ends the day of the Lord is what is being depicted there but you still have more to prophesy in this interlude and then the first part Of chapter 11. It talks about the two witnesses that will be witnesses for the Lord. They'll be killed and God will bring them back to life. But again, it's just to remind us of the fact that those that are in Christ will be sealed and saved from the wrath and judgment of God, but there is no guarantee that you'll be sealed and saved from the wrath of those around you in this experience. And so, but God is still sovereignly in control. So that's what's happening in the interlude, but we don't have a full time to be able to go through it this morning. So trumpet number seven, Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. Verse 15 says, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And verse 16, and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces in worship. Verse 17, this is important, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and began to reign. What is missing in verse 17? Pop quiz, who knows? We have them saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is... And who was and is to come, but is to come is missing. Why would is to come be missing in verse 17? Because he is here. That's what the Bible is talking about. That's what verse 17, for you have taken your great power and begun To reign, all right? So the seventh trumpet, the final woe judgment, is the great and final judgment, all right? And this is why it is the most important of all the woe judgments because up until this point, you still had time to experience God's grace and His mercy and His repentance. Or you can repentance. But from this point on, there is no more opportunity. It's the greatest of all the woe judgments because when Christ returns, Everyone, the Bible tells us, at the end of Revelation will stand before him, all right? Those who are in Christ will be rewarded, and those who are not in Christ will also be rewarded for what they have earned in their own Self, all right, and so we see this as the final judgment. Who is to come is missing here. We see this if you look at Revelation 1 8, it says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. We see in Revelation 4 8, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around them within, and day and night they never cease saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come in the Seventh trumpet blast, we see the response that this is who is and who was, and you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So God is now with him. All right, look at verse 18. It says, The nations rage, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Basically, they're celebrating God. For not only his return, but for wrapping up and bringing to a culmination all of this in history. They say, your wrath came. The time for the dead to be judged is here. The time for rewarding your servants is here. The prophets and the saints, those who fear your name, both small and great. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. This is what we talked about before we even started the book of Revelation. That God was going to bring about a completion to redemptive history. And Satan is going to get what he deserves. And he's going to be placed where he deserves to be placed. And God will pour out judgment and wrath on those who deserve it. But those who are in Christ will be recipients of God's unmerited favor for all eternity. All right? That's what we're seeing here in the seven trumpets. So I have four quick things for us to talk about today, and then we will we'll be done. So reminders for us today, these are things that God these are these are things that are demonstrated through this text. And let me just say I've really struggled this week. Really struggled with the fact of how do you take how do you take something about judgment and wrath and all this stuff and just make it practical? And be able to apply it to those of us in this room. Like, I mean, the truth is, most of us, like, we just, like, we wake up. We live in Johnson County. It's 2021. We go to work. You stop at Walmart to get milk on the way. Like, like what does God's judgments have to do with us? How do we apply? This? Well, we're reminded this morning of several things in this. We're reminded a lot about God. We're also reminded about ourselves. So number one is this, that God demonstrates power and authority through judgment. God demonstrates his power and authority through judgment. If you look at these and your first response to this is this doesn't seem right, then we don't understand who God is. Okay? If we have a proper perspective of who God is, we may not like this, but we understand why it's taking place because God is God. And he demonstrates his power and authority through judgment. We talked about Exodus earlier. Let me go to Exodus to make this point. Exodus chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. This is God talking to Moses and Aaron, and he's telling them, this is why I'm about to do what I'm about to do. And it's exactly what is happening here at the end. He says in verse 3, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Verse 5, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and I bring out the people of Israel from among them. So God's going to demonstrate his power and authority through judgment, simultaneously give those unbelievers what they deserve by experiencing that wrath and judgment and also delivering his own people through it as another demonstration of his power and authority. So both of those things are happening simultaneously and it's a great reminder for us today when we think about wrath and judgment. I know it's not fun, but it demonstrates God's power and authority through judgment. Number two, God demonstrates mercy in limiting his judgments. God demonstrates his mercy in limiting judgment, if you saw with it, it's a progression, right? The first seven sealed judgments, we see um, in the six seals, it's a quarter, right? And then we see now in the trumpets, it's a third. And then when we see in the bowls, it's going to be uh, complete uh, sin and, and judgment that's going to be poured out. But what we see here in this is that God still demonstrates mercy in limiting. I think about that for a second. Like these things sound crazy, but it could be far worse. It's only a third. Why is it not 100%? And it challenges us to our core and our understanding of who God is and who we are in light of that. And it makes us recognize the fact that no one is deserving of God's mercy. Not a single person. But it demonstrates his mercy and his limiting when it could have been 100%, it's only a third. Number three, God demonstrates grace By offering a time of repentance. It is crazy to me as I was studying this week, and I'm reading through these things. Up up until the seventh trumpet blast, it says that they still didn't repent. But you know what that tells us? It tells us that there was an opportunity to repent. That's what's so crazy to me this week. As I'm studying through this, I'm going, all the way up until the day of the Lord, God is still extending grace and mercy to those who don't deserve it. It's unbelievable. The Bible calls us enemies of God. Apart from Christ, we are his enemies, and yet he is demonstrating grace and mercy and an opportunity to come to saving faith and repent of our sin and rebellion. These people have every opportunity, and when they stand before God one day after the seventh trumpet, no one will be able to say that I didn't have opportunity to repent of my sins and to turn to you, and they will stand before him condemned and they will understand that what they were about to receive by God's final judgment, they deserve. And it's an unbelievable thought. But just the idea that God is so gracious and so merciful all the way up into the point where he returns again, that people have the opportunity to repent after we have waved our fist in the face of almighty God and said, we don't want you he still offers an opportunity to repent of that sin and to experience eternal life in him forever. What an unbelievable God that we serve. Number four, that the unbelievers demonstrate a hardness of heart. And this is what we've already talked about before. But they demonstrate a hardness of heart. That even after every opportunity and every demonstration of God's power and his love and his mercy and his grace, that they still reject him as their king. And it shows us and demonstrates just the hardness of heart that people have. That's why we were reminded that these are spiritual things. That it's only God who can change a person's heart. It's only a God, a God like that that can bring them to the end of themselves. It reminds me of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 11 and in 36, it, it, I'll just read the one in 36. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. You see, this is, this is bad news when we first look at it, but it's a good news when we really think about it because the Bible tells us that every single one of us at one point in our life had that hard heart, that we all stood condemned in our sin, that we were at one point enemies of God, but God being rich in mercy, right? He takes out those hard hearts of stone and he replaces them with hearts of flesh. And the Bible tells us that he makes us into a new creation. And that's what we see here. We see a lot of things in God's heart and things being demonstrated before us, but it's a challenge to us to be thankful for what God's done to us, that he didn't leave us in that place, that he saved us from our sin And saved us from his judgment and wrath to come. But it also reminds us that we know a lot of people who don't have the position in Christ that we do. People that you live on the street with. People that you go to work with. People that you walk by in Walmart and Price Chopper and everywhere else. That if they were to die today, they would stand before God condemned. And they would face his wrath and judgment because they never came to saving faith. And that's my heart. That's what God's challenged me with this week is I need to be quick to share that message and to be able to watch God do the life-changing. All all my responsibility in this this thing is, is to just open my mouth and share. That's it. It's up to God to take out hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh, but he will. And you still have that opportunity to repent and put your saving faith in Jesus Christ right here this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. God, that we thank you for um, just the, the challenge from it, God. And this morning, Lord, as we, as we study this and we look, at, we look at elements of judgment and wrath and all these things, God, it, it, we can't help but have our hearts broken. God, because we recognize... That every single person deserves that. And God, at the same time, we can't help but rejoice in the fact that you've given us a way to be covered of our sin, God, to stand before you blameless through the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. So, God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room this morning that's never experienced your grace and your mercy to that level, God, that you would bring them to saving faith. God, bring them to the end of themselves. Show them that they're a sinner. Show them that they're in desperate need of you, that you are their only hope. And, God, I pray that you'd fill them with boldness to respond to this invitation this morning. We pray this in Christ's name.